Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Come to you from underneath the peach blossom. It's time for an episode of Be Awesome. Find positivity throughout your life and work. Just like our mascot rooster, Steve the Jerk. Hello, Be Awesome listeners. I am in beautiful Raleigh, North Carolina for episode 27 of the Be Awesome podcast. And I am super excited to share a guest with you today. Uh, One of my sales secret weapons professionally. uh, And I have to say that his uh, practices and his suggestions in life have helped me personally. Chris Del Torrio, uh, who is the owner CEO of New Velocity Sales Training. Welcome to the podcast, Chris. Peaches, it is awesome to be here. <laughs> We're going to say awesome a couple times through this podcast. Uh, so just a little backstory on Chris before I start getting right into asking him some, some deep questions and thoughts in life. Uh, Chris and I met about 10 years ago. He was a sales trainer for our, for our company. And uh, at the end of the day, we ended up trying to uh, negotiate for the bar to stay open for a few more minutes for us to get another drink because we were having so much fun. And uh, I think I think I, I know I learned a lot. Maybe he learned something about me in the conversation. But I had that 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 bond that was right out of the gate that I was like, this guy is somebody that I want around in my life that uh, it's not about dollars and cents of, of you know, charging me money. He's given me more uh, free advice than, than most people could ever ask for. Uh, but it was just a, a genuine tie to who he is, how he is, his beliefs, and, and that he's accomplished things. And one of the things that I've always shared with people is you always want to find people that you want to emulate. You want to find people in your world that you want to replicate. You want to find people in this world that you can try to excel or exceed and raise the bar past maybe where they were at some point. And Chris is one of those guys. So I'm going to let him tell a little bit of his backstory, but he's been there, done that. He hasn't wrote, written the book yet, but I think he should. Uh, and he's training thousands of people in how to be better professionals in a, in a, in a very uh, tough trade known as sales. So give us a little bit of your backstory. Yeah, sure, Peaches. You know, uh, I've always been in sales, and I, I graduated from college from Pittsburgh originally. Got into sales and sold golf balls. So I sold toys, which was a lot of fun. And that went well. I, you know, I didn't know what I didn't know back at, uh, you know, when I was 23 years old in 1991 in Rochester, New York. And, uh, you know, fast forward, probably 14 years later, I was running the company. So it really came down to, I had a father who was a CFO that probably helped a little bit of the business acumen background, but I screwed it up enough over the years and fixed it and screwed it up again and fixed it that uh, started working out pretty good. So then I got to teach everybody else how to, you know, maybe get a little bit more. Uh, And I love you, you know, with your be awesome. I say be outstanding. Uh, You know, Robin Sharma is somebody that I follow. And I recommend a lot of people follow Robin. And he, uh, I don't know if he coined this phrase, but I borrow it a lot, which is, you know, ordinary has become an epidemic. And I've got something I say, you know, be outstanding. Outstanding is greater than ordinary. And you've got be awesome. It's the same concept where, you know, we've got choices every day. Uh, we got to just quit being afraid of screwing things up. Most successful people uh, have screwed stuff up before, yep. and uh, they learn from it. They get a little bit better. So I've got a long way to go, but so far so good. Yeah, and when you say you ran a company, you know, 14 years later, it was 
it was kind of a big deal of a company in the golf world, right? Yeah, it sure was. So Slazinger was a really cool company. One of the things that we did, which was a little bit different, and uh, you know, I fast forward today. If you're fans of the challenger sale or solution selling, uh, value selling, insight selling, any of that, some of the things that uh, you'll learn is, you know, what can you do to be different? What can you do to add value? So Slazinger only sold to golf courses, the country clubs. If you didn't have a golf course there where the game was played, we wouldn't sell to you. Mm-hmm. So if people liked the product, they had to come back there to buy it. And that was our uh, market intelligence, if you will. We would start off having better business conversations with our clients. So they would say, yeah, you're right. And then not only would they buy the product, some of the things that you know I learned by trial and error, uh, I would get them to you know feature the product so it would sell through and you could fill in and all those kind of things. But yeah, Slazeter was a nice uh, size company. A lot of people probably know it. Uh, the, you know, tennis or the, it's got the longest relationship between a, a major sporting event and a sporting goods company, Wimbledon. Uh, it goes back to 1881, as long as that relationship has uh, has been there. So pretty cool brand. Yeah, that's 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 cool. And it was the, that was one of the kind of the things that drew me to you when first kind of looking you up. And you know, when someone comes in and talks to you, you know, today. I tell people, you know, anybody can tell a story and anybody can put something on Instagram or Facebook or whatever. You got to really look back. You got to look deep. You got to ask questions. You got to look for true referrals and references. And you, you got to do your homework before you really put that trust in someone, which is what I did with, with, with you because I was like, yeah, this is just a cool cat. He's got to have a great story. And I was asking around. You hang out Preston with, with a bunch of people that I know. So, you know, I was asking about, you know, is this guy for real? And, and yeah, you're for real. You, you've, you've been there and you did it. And it was growing up from the ranks. Started selling golf balls, and 14 years later, you know, you're running the company. Now, you know, that's one of the things that, you know, I'm sure you come across this a lot. I think today, more than ever, people are looking for, not just in sales, but in, in life and in business, whether it's a relationship. I mean, we're expediting relationships. You can get into a relationship in about 13 seconds if you get on Bumble or Tinder or any of these apps, opposed to having to go out or meet a friend or do whatever. And the same thing with work. Like, you get into a job and you're like, I need to be a sales director, I need to be a manager, I need to be a chief this, or I need to be a chief that. You know, you were patient, 14 years. You know, was that, were you were you patient? Were you pushing? Were you, like, t- what 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 did you do to get through that? Yeah, so first of all, I love selling, and I was greedy. I have five kids, so I was always a little selfish. I don't think it's a bad thing that money is a great motivator. It can't be your only motivator, but it, it's great if that's what pushes you. So again, having a father as a CFO, you start taking a look at what's going to cost to put five kids through college. You know, hey, if you want to, you know, you mentioned I, I love golf. If you want to have a uh, live at a country club and you want to, you know, enjoy uh, going to the lake on the weekend, whatever it is, you figure it out and you say, well, that's why I always say sales is the best uh, uh, profession on the planet, bar none. Because if you want to make more money, go make more money. Mm-hmm. So, as far as leadership positions go, I was really in no hurry. I turned down a lot of middle management positions. And then what happened was Slazinger got purchased a brand by Adidas. Mm-hmm. And then it was under their umbrella for a while. And they took me and a couple of other guys and they put us on the Adidas side. Loved it. Love Adidas to this day. I, you know, still, I was always a Nike fan for some yeah. reason, but now more of an Adidas fan. Love the company, love the brand, love everything they do. But it wasn't for me. It was a big company. They wanted me to move to the West Coast. I was an East Coast guy. It was always a lot of pressure. And uh, Slazinger then got spun off from this VC group, uh, I'm sorry, to a VC group from Adidas. And when that happened, uh, I got an opportunity to come and and, uh, be the VP of sales for Slazinger, but I turned it down because 
the president and I, I, I just disagreed with everything he said. So this was kind of a cool story. He was a real product guy. He was like, look, we're going to redesign the golf balls. We're going to have these icosadohecahedron dimple designs. And I'm like, what? None of that matters. And uh, we just had a difference in philosophy. I said the best sales professional wins. And we need to invest in our team. We need to equip our team. We need to pay, or pay them more. And then we can, we can do some damage. So he disagreed. So I wrote a letter. This was my dad's advice. Wrote a letter to Jeff Frankel, who was the one who was kind of recruiting me from the VC group to kind of come back uh, to be the VP. And uh, I said, look, I really respect the, the president, what he's doing. You got a great product guy. But do me a favor, open this letter in a year. And this was the idea from my dad. And I put in there, fast forward, you know, your crystal ball. I said, 12 months from now, your inventory is going to be out of whack because of A, B, and C. Your top salespeople are probably going to have left because of this reason. And I kind of walked through some of the issues they were going to have. So I forgot that even said it, it was done. Well, a year later, I'm at Adidas. Things are great. But I get a call from Jeff Frankel. And he says, hey, we were looking to call you back anyhow. I went and got your file. I never did read that letter. I saw it was in there. My admin gave it to me. Holy crap, everything you said came true. <laughs> and it wasn't that I was really that brilliant. It was they were new to the business and they didn't listen to the right people. So that's when they recruited me to come back as the CEO, which I'd love to do because I kind of grew up with, you know, there are about 65 salespeople there that I grew up with. And I was glad to come back and, and join them. So uh, that was great. And uh, we really enjoyed that run. And then we sold it. Uh, I lose track all the time. What today's new velocity we started after we sold the brand, the Dick Sporting Goods. I'm from Pittsburgh, mm -hmm. Pennsylvania. Ed Stacks, the CEO. I got to meet Ed and uh, ended up being a license agreement with them. So today you can get Slazinger from Dick Sporting Goods. And they've since bought Golf Galaxy. So yeah. those are the two places you can get Slazinger today. I didn't know that story about the yeah. letter. That's, a, that's, that's fantastic. Yeah, like, that was one of the cool ones. I give my dad all the credit for that. It was his yeah. advice. Yeah, it was pretty neat. But that's, you know, that's the, right there is a great example. And, and I actually did a podcast with Brian Andrego, who you know, and we're both, both friends with yeah, this Just guy. Get Started podcast. And we were talking about, you know, uh, some, some positions. He asked me how, you know, did I, how did, how did I get my position at Dude? And, you know, it, was, it wasn't for, I didn't go for it. I didn't chase it. I didn't, that wasn't, this wasn't like my ultimate goal of, going up the corporate ladder and getting to evangelists, it, it happened. And it happened because it was the right fit. It happened because it was meant to be. It happened naturally. And I know that there were a couple of positions that I went for that I tried to force because I just thought that that was the natural progression and what it is. And what you just touched on about sales, sales is the highest paid hardworking or smart work, hard smart working job or the lowest paid non-working job. And I think mm -hmm. that the biggest challenge that people have, they want to get to that next step because they're probably not working hard enough to reap that reward that you're talking about, that financial gain and that feeling of, of value that they're providing to their to their members, to their clients, to, to, to their subscribers, whatever it is that they're providing. And if they focused on that, opposed to what's next, I think they would be doing so much better and realizing that. And then the other thing that you just touched on is those motivators. What motivates you? Absolutely, I got two kids. Got eight years worth of college, and they spread That's out. Right. I mean, when when Danny's when Danny's graduating high school, chances going into first grade, like you know, I'm 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 gonna probably realize some some breathing room when Danny's done for a couple of years, and then I'm gonna be like start all over again, and I'm gonna be about a hundred in a wheelchair. So I gotta I gotta start saving up because I mean, <laughs> chance came in came a little bit later in life, but. Um, you know, that's important, and I think that's something that people miss so often. Um, you talk about being outstanding, and I can remember the first time you said, you know, I think it was, you know, we talk about when someone calls and you say, how you doing? You say, outstanding. And, uh, and, I, and I think I made a reference to, you know, B, 
being outstanding, like standing outside their their window, like what it sounded like because you were saying it, like, hey, I'm outstanding, and people would be looking outside, be like, we're outstanding, where you know? But that's something that you always say, and I, it's not just. I can remember, to be honest with you, when I first when I first started with the um, with you guys and listening to that, I'll, I'll openly say I thought that was kind of hokey. I was like, you know, all they do is say, well, I'm outstanding, I'm outstanding, I'm outstanding. But it's not hokey and it's not fake if you believe it and if you insist on doing it all the time and if you have it with a genuine authenticity that you're truly happy and outstanding. If you're just saying, hey, I'm outstanding just because I want to say it and there's nothing behind it, then that's fake. But if you hear it and you believe it, then it's it's something that people go, well, why is he outstanding? Well, I want some of that happy sauce that he's got because... A lot of people I deal with are miserable and unhappy. How do you get that mind right mindset? Because it can't be easy. It, it's not. And, you know, well, by the way, you do it better than anybody. So we should be asking you that question. <laughs> so whether it's be awesome or be outstanding, those are just semantics. It really is a mindset. And you don't have to say the word, right? People will hear um, how you sound, your tonality, your body language, everything about you. That's really what's going to be important is when somebody's talking to you, how do you want them to feel when you're done with that engagement? And we all forget it, myself at the top of the list. You know, I'll give you an example, and we've all heard this before, but these are the refreshers. We talk about some of the things that will help put you in a good mind, mindset, all the different goals you want to balance in your life. But when I would travel quite a bit, you know, and I came home, it would be rare that all my kids and my wife and I would be having dinner together, which was great when we did. And I said, you know, one of the things you could do, I, I got into a bad habit of going around and I would say, hey, you know, Zach, I, I know you were struggling with that exam. You know, hey, did you do homework last week or did you go play golf? Mm-hmm. You know, Abby, I know you get straight A's all the time, but hey, are you signing up for advanced courses? Jake, you know, what's up with this? Whatever it might be, I'd go around. And all of a sudden dinner became like, oh, geez, I don't even want to be there because I'm drilling up with all these questions. Mm-hmm. And I would use that time differently. And one of the things is give somebody a compliment. So if you give them a compliment, it makes you feel better. It makes your tonality better. That's what's going to be important. So you just got to be conscious about it. You got to be aware of it. Most of the time, we're not. You know, we used examples if you check into a hotel and they don't have your room ready. Well, here we go. Well, you know, how are you going to react? You have, you know, just a few different choices. But your tonality, your attitude, you know, that's going to go a long way. This is why people, you know, have heart attacks and die today. You know, they yeah. get stressed out over things they don't need to get stressed out. I think it's Stephen Covey that says, you know, being responsible means you're response able. Mm-hmm. So just step back and say, hey, what is this situation asking of me and how am I going to respond? And that could be when a customer says no, uh, a customer says send me information, uh, a coworker, you know, handles a certain situation. You just want to step back and get into your emotional intelligence, your self-awareness and say, what is this situation asking me? And listen, here's the other thing. Don't be afraid you're going to screw up. Don't let that, you know, that's, you're not going to say, well, I'm not good at this. Mm-hmm. It just means you whiff that time, you know, and I whiff all the time. Just try to get a little bit better next time. Yeah, you know what? You just talked about the hotel room. I'll give two great, uh, what I think are great examples on the hotel room uh, because I travel a lot. And right right there with you. The, more times than not, I check in even after the 4 o'clock time, and it's after a big wedding weekend or something, and they're just behind. And, uh, you know, they, they say, hey, we're terribly sorry. Your new room's not ready. You get two options. You go to the option of being pissed off right and, and give them a hard time and you're still not, probably not going to get your room and if you get your room you got your room by being a jerk and like you got to sleep in that bed I mean how do you smile how do you smile going I got this room upgrade because I was a jerk to this person or I got this room because I demanded it and somebody else didn't and who's that somebody else 
that somebody else could be someone that just lost a loved one that just needs a place to collect their thoughts or whatever. And so it's important for you to just say, hey, you know what? I get it. Totally understand. Not intentional. Big wedding party. People made a mess. Whatever. And step back and kind of let it go. I had someone that told me, you know, they were so proud of themselves for this upgrade that they got because they didn't, their room, they weren't happy with where their room was and how it was set up and it smelled funny or whatever. And they were so proud to say how they basically were just these, just, just bulldogs on these people. Right. And I'm sitting there going, how did you sleep well in that room? Yeah, it's appointed nice. There's, there's fancy, you know, soaps and, and shampoos and all this other stuff. But you had to be a person that wasn't nice to get something nice. That, that, that wouldn't make me feel good at the end mm-hmm. of the day. How do you, you know, how do you deal with yourself on that? The other thing that you say, and it's not perfect, and when you screw up, whatever you do, however you screw up, you need to back, you need to, you need to back out of it by realizing it, acknowledging it, and then moving forward. I'll give you this quick little story. Appliances are the biggest bane to my existence right now. Home appliances, and I hate, I'm starting to sound like my grandparents. Like they didn't make, they made them back, back in my day, you know. Right. Coke, Coke was a penny and washers and dryers lasted forever. We've gone through in 12 years, four um, refrigerator freezers. And I mean, they're, they're not inexpensive. They're, they're thousands of dollars, you know, fancy pull door, you know, nice things. Just had terrible, terrible luck with freezers, refrigerator freezers for the kitchen. And so... Uh, on the first go around, this was like a, a, a Samsung, which I'll never buy another Samsung. This is, like, like, I, I, this is my negative plug for Samsung. Um, oh, no, it wasn't Samsung. It was LG. I'm sorry. It was LG. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, sorry, LG. Samsung. Yeah, yeah okay. sorry, Samsung. <laughs> hey, Samsung did all right. That one lasted a couple of years. LG, and here's why I didn't. LG, I had the refrigerator for a year, and it broke. And they came in, and they fixed it. And the year, it's a one-year warranty. Of course, I didn't get the extended warranty. Got it at Lowe's. I give Lowe's a nice plug. And I didn't get the extended warranty because I said, I don't need that stuff. It's, it's, a, it's an appliance that'll last forever. And so on month 15, the same exact thing broke, that they came and fixed while it was under warranty. And they said, hey, sorry, it's not under warranty. And we called LG and said, it's not under warranty. And so now I'm screwed. I got this refrigerator freezer that doesn't work. I don't know what to do. I've got my fiance that's completely upset because it's 600 bucks worth of food that's gone and spoiled. Nothing. We don't have a refrigerator freezer. You don't know how much you need something until you don't have it in today's world. Like grandparents, they were using blocks of ice. We have refrigerator freezers that have water dispensers and all this other stuff. And we can't live for a minute if it's not working. So I went down to Lowe's and I said, this is absolutely unacceptable. So I'm going to give you two days to get this thing rectified because this just doesn't work. And I was a jerk. I mean, I was a complete jerk. And I went down, the store manager probably put my picture up on the dartboard when I left and said, I'm not doing anything for him. So two days came and went. Three days came and went. On the fourth day, I called him. I said, what are you going to do? He says, we can't do anything. I said, okay, good enough. I collected my thoughts. I remember doing this. I collected my thoughts and I said, you know what? I'm done. I'm not buying anything else from Lowe's. They've got competitors. They've got other people. I bet there's another company I can do business with. But before I do that, I'm going to collect my thoughts, I'm going to do it right, and I'm going to send the CEO of Lowe's, Robert Niblock, an email to explain to him what it is that I felt and how I felt it. And I put together a heartfelt, caring email of how important doing business with Lowe's all these years was and how upset I was and how I couldn't find myself because they didn't back me up. I'm going to have to go someplace else to do my business. And people go, wait a second, you sent a Fortune 100 CEO his email. How do you get his email address? Well, there's this thing called Google. You can find anybody's email address. So first and foremost, I emailed Jeff Bezos. I'll email anybody. I'll call them if they got their phone number on there. But I emailed them this, and it was a heartfelt, truly 
I'm sorry, you know, and I even apologized. I said, please let the store manager know that I've emailed the CEO of his company, which is a Fortune 100 company, and I need to turn myself in. I was a complete jerk. 15 minutes after I sent that email, his office called me. That's awesome. I mean, called me up and talked to me. They actually, the reason why I'm upset with LG is because he actually, actually tried to get the refrigerator taken under warranty through LG and they denied it. Lowe stood behind it. They gave me a gift gift card for twenty six hundred bucks. What I paid for the um, refrigerator freezer the year before, gave me a gift card for the full amount. Took the old refrigerator freezer out and stood by it. And it was all because I didn't get mad and I shared my true experience. And I did it in a way that wasn't offensive and hurtful. And that's what most people what we're talking about. People get into these offensive, hurtful situations. It's just like, what are you doing? Why, why are you doing it? And that's that mindset of being out, being the most, what is it? Being the most outstanding version of yourself. That's right. Yeah. That you talk about. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing, let's get into, let's get into getting uncomfortable. Um, you know, first of all, the shirt, you can tell, talk about the shirt and the diagram and, you know, talk, give us, give us the, 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 uh, LeBron James breakdown and your, your version of it. Oh, yeah. So LeBron James, I was just watching ESPN one night and, you know, whether it's my kids, uh, you know, all of the sales uh, professionals and sales leaders we work with, it's even talking all the time about being better and worse. Everything we do, so much of what we do is out of habit, just the rituals that we have. And it's our bad habits are costing us the outstanding version or the awesome version mm-hmm. of ourselves. And we've got to be aware, you know, we have to be able to do something about it. So here's LeBron James, you know, arguably the best basketball player of all time who's sitting there saying, hey, I like to get uncomfortable. I like to get uncomfortable a lot. So I just you know, took a quick video of that. We put it out there on LinkedIn and it got a lot of views and uh, people just, we like it and they, you know, hey, I like this, but what do you do? If we really took inventory and ask you know, the people around you, what have you done differently? What have you done to get a little bit better? I see salespeople all the time that want to talk about email. And they all have that one story where they landed that one account mm-hmm. on email. That's great, that's one. But take a look at the statistics. You've got to pick up the phone or, you know, if the opportunity presents itself, get in front of people. And that's where business is done. But for a lot of people, that's not expanding their comfort zone. That's like panic zone Mm -hmm. because they haven't practiced it. You know, think right now why you don't do it. You know, whether it's gatekeepers or somebody giving you an objection, there's only seven objections that exist in all of sales. That's it, seven. You can take the time to get prepared for that, but you have to get outside of your comfort zone. Instead of saying, well, you know, the most dangerous words of, in business when asked, you know, why do you do it that way? It's because the answer is, well, it's because how we've always done it. Mm-hmm. That's scary. You want to make sure you're uh, you're getting outside your comfort zone. People all nod their head right now, but what are you doing about it? You right. got to take action, you know, big, massive action. Well, let's talk about that. We're selling to people to get them out of their comfort zone because they're doing what we're going to ask them to offer them is to get them out of doing what they're always what they've always done, right? That's right. So it's a, it's a two-way it's a two-way comfort zone there. Like you 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 think you're uncomfortable, you're calling somebody and asking them to get uncomfortable. And the more comfortable you are being uncomfortable with that, the easier it is for that consumer as long as you believe in that true value of what you're delivering, you're going to help and you're going to make two people get uncomfortable and be comfortable doing it. And uh, I think that's I think that's pretty awesome. We, uh, we tend to delay things to make us uncomfortable. Yeah. I, yeah, this just popped in my head talking to you. I, haven't, I don't know if I've ever told the story, but I remember ninth grade, I wanted to ask Michelle Mesha to the ninth grade dance mm-hmm. at Seneca Valley High School outside of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And I'm in ninth grade and, and I was, uh, you know, I was nervous and I didn't do it, you know, so 
I don't remember when the dance was, maybe like the following Saturday. It wasn't like the next Saturday, but Monday I was going to do it. I would see her at her locker two times during the day, you know, nothing. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, nothing. And if I don't ask her on Friday, you know, it's for a week, you know, eight yeah. days later, you know, the whole a guy doesn't care. You know, he just yeah. throws on something from his dad, a jacket and goes to the ninth grade dance. Yeah. But, you know, girls have to get the dresses and things like that. So I finally do it. And it was, I was so bad at it. You know, I knew her a little bit, so we were kind of friends. And I just remember saying, oh, Michelle, hey, you want to go to the ninth grade dance? Like, there was nothing. And I was like, oh, like, you know, hyperventilating. She's like, sure. I'm like, okay, great. Talk to you later. Like, it's just terrible. But, you know, that's something I remember being really uncomfortable. What I do for a living, cold calling or starting a new relationship, coming up to a C-level, that doesn't bother me. But, you know, I'm 50, 51 now, 51 years old. When I was 31 years old, you know, reaching out to a CEO of a company, that was scary. I remember that. I was nervous. Uh, you know, it's good to be nervous. It's an exciting thing. You know, you, you know, even public speaking, I won't say I'm nervous, but I'm excited. You know what? Maybe it is nerves. But, you know, you definitely know that you're not just uh, going to stand somewhere. There's a difference between attending an event and running an event. Mm -hmm. And you've got to get, no matter what you do, just always ask yourself, you know, what one, two or three things can I do to do this better? We just wing things. We don't prepare. And that's how you can expand your comfort zone. Yeah. Uh, and those are great. You know, you hit the speaking thing. And, and that was a question Brian had asked me about being nervous. And I, I said, you know, being a public speaker is there. No one comes out a public speaker. Come out maybe a public crier because we all scream and, and shout. True. But when, we, when we're born, they don't have like a, a, a list of what you're good at. It's it's truly a learned talent to be a public speaker, to be a good public speaker. And I'm lucky to get pretty good reviews, and I get asked all the time. I say, I'm nervous every single time I stand in front of people. I'm nervous because I have high expectations of myself. I know that the audience has high expectations of me. And I want to give them something that they can take home to make a difference in their lives. And if I don't feel that I've done that, I don't feel that I've done what I'm supposed to do. And I'm hard on myself. But I'm not so hard on myself that I go, I'm never going to do it again. I'm hard on myself because I give, a, I make sure that I have awareness and I'm not, too many people are closed-minded to, mm -hmm. you know, what it is people have to say or what they have to say. And I talked about this with, with having the people around you. I've talked about it a couple of times when asked is it's important to define and find a difference between constructive criticism and destructive uh, criticism. There are people, no matter what you do, what you say, how you do it, and how you say it, they're going to be destructive. They're just angry. They're negative. They don't know how to communicate, whatever. We focus on that, you know, way too much. I'll give an example. I did a, I did a keynote. I'm going to say I knocked it out of the park. I don't say that, I don't say that this often. I mean, I just, it was, it was my last, one of my last speaking engagements before, one of my last keynotes before we were expecting the, son, the birth of our son, Chance. I was crying at Tide commercials at this point. I mean, it's highly emotional. I had some really good content that I was sharing about my life, personal stuff. And I had, a, I had a, the audience was phenomenal. Just lights out, best people. I came dressed up in an inflatable dinosaur's Halloween. It was an inflatable Halloween dinosaur costume. That's how I came to the stage. Uh, my, Marcus Williams, one of my sales team members, he came up and he actually got me out of the costume so I could give this keynote. And I, I thought I did fantastic. But I wear jeans. I wear my Be Awesome t-shirts, I wear jeans, and I wear Adidas Stan Smith sneakers uh, for, for a long-standing uh, favorite shoe. And that's just, that's just my thing. And I felt so good about this keynote, and I got the survey results back. And I want to get the survey results back. 
And there was one that basically said, who does he think he is? He wore jeans to deliver the keynote. And I'm sitting here saying, well, maybe I should. And I remember doing this. I go, should I not wear jeans anymore? One person. One person out of tens of thousands of people. And I'm sitting here spending time wondering about, is my wardrobe impacting negatively, even though it was only one person? And it took me a while, and I go, and I saw the rest of the review, and I go, well, that person's giving me destructive criticism, not because they want to help me, because they want to hurt me. For whatever reason, maybe they're hurt. And I need to put that aside. We need to take constructive criticism. And if that person said, hey, you know what? You did really, really well. But the way that you said this was offensive. Or the way that you said this was hurtful. And maybe you want to change your words. Or maybe you might want to consider thinking about this. So when people have something to say that you don't want to be like, oh, that person's just negative on everything. You want to really analyze and go, where is that coming from? What is their intent? And what could the end result be differently if I were to consider it? So if I considered not, if I considered not wearing jeans, so I wear khakis or I wear a suit, whatever. What's that impact look like? I don't see it. I yeah. think you got to stick with the jeans. I'm, I'm sticking with the jeans. I'm sticking with the yeah. jeans. But that's, They're not, well, it's hot yeah. out. If you yeah. had, uh, what do they call it? Jorts? If you had yeah, jean jorts. shorts on, I'd be a little nervous right now. That's good. Hey, uh, have you seen the jean sweatpants? I've not seen those. Oh, yet. man, that, that might be coming on next. Yeah, we might have to stay away from those. <laughs> well, you know, social media is ridiculous, right? Most people spend more time trying to have this great Facebook life than they do really have a great life. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, it's not just millennials either. People get sucked into this thing. Mm -hmm. And now you're a target. So you get yourself or any other influencer out there. You know, you might move 999 people, but that thousandth person, yep. you know, that go ahead and gives you a little bit of self-doubt. You really are. You look at anybody who's, uh, and you're better at social media than I am, but you look at any of the best leaders, the best influencers out there, they, there's a lot of hate. Yeah. And it is. It's usually people taking cheap shots. But if you try to be vanilla, you're not going to move all those other people. Mm -hmm. I don't. If you're not a little bit controversial, you're probably not really moving the needle. Mm -hmm. So Tony Robbins, you know, I know a lot of people that think he's a joke. And he, what he does is very different than what I do. So he's a phenomenal speaker, first of all. Mm -hmm. He really is. That voice and his stature and everything else. Yeah. But one of the most uh, intelligent people about the mindset and human behavior and how important your attitude really is. And does he get a little bit deep, a little bit out there sometimes? And mm -hmm. I've heard about his seminars. I've never been one where, you know, look at a stranger and put your hands on their shoulder, look mm -hmm. them in the eye and tell them you love them. That's, that's not my thing, right? Mm -hmm. Because to me, if I tell you I love you, I like I'm sincere. Yeah. I, I love, there's probably a lot of value in that. Mm -hmm. But even if it's that exercise that makes you uncomfortable at a two day seminar, Tony Robbins, you're going to get everything else is going to be spectacular. So right. don't worry about the one or two throwaways. Talk about what you can take out of those things. Yeah. So again, I think social media just brings the haters at the forefront. But yeah, I hope you totally disregard that. Oh yeah, uh, and not to go too deep into that, but it was, uh, uh, gosh, John T. Malloy, one of the first books I read, uh, "Dress for Success." And there's much better ones, more current ones out today, especially for for uh, women, because he doesn't really touch uh, women's attire. But the takeaway that I would say that I got out of all that is, uh, you know, he might tell you dress for the job you want, not for the job you have. And that made sense back in 1980s or whenever yeah. that book was authored. Today, what do you feel comfortable in? Because yeah. that's when you're going to be awesome because you feel comfortable. If you're up there with a tie on, yeah. you're not going to be yeah. awesome peaches. Yeah, uh, no more ties for me. That's definitely yeah. a, uh, a no-go for me. So um, let's, let's talk about, you and I talked a little bit about this and, and shift gears a little bit. 
back to the idea on on sales and in humans specifically there is all this talk about you know artificial intelligence business intelligence you know the 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 art of sales as we know it is is going by the wayside and you know automated phone calls i mean if you call uh some companies now or uh, the bot chats. I mean, I don't know how familiar if you've done bot sure. chats with, but I mean, if you have a problem on a, on a website and you start typing in stuff, chances are that's a computer that's actually responding to you. That's not Claire or Tom or whoever. It's it's. But I'm a believer, and you and I talked about this. As long as there is a human involved in a transaction, there's a need for a salesperson. What are your what What do you? I thoughts? do. Yeah, I think you know. You look like, take LinkedIn, for example, try to get somebody from customer service on LinkedIn on the phone. Good luck. Yeah. You know, it's all automated. They have different models now. And that can work. You know, if you sell uh, an iPhone, right, that product is so spectacular, it doesn't need a great salesperson necessarily. You know, so whatever it is now, to sell 50 million phones a quarter, you can be a good, not a great salesperson uh, is a whole for, you know, for mm-hmm. Apple. But to sell 55 or 10% more to hit, you know, what Wall Street wants to see to make the stock price go up, you still need tremendous salespeople. You know, when I was interviewed for a job with Slasinger Golf, I remember having dinner with Kay and, and David Brannon. Uh, David was the CEO, Kay was his wife, but very involved in the company. And they asked me, do you think it's easier to sell Slasinger or Titleist? Well, I, I didn't know if it was a trick question or what it was. I'm like, well, without question, Titleist. You know, number one in market share and number one on the PGA Tour, that's easier to sell than, you know, Slazinger, which was a more of a niche company and, and had a, a specific go-to-market strategy. No question it's harder to sell. But guess what? You can make a lot more money. You know, the top salesperson for Slazinger back in the day, this was probably 1991, that person was probably making, you know, half a million dollars back in 1991. Top salesperson for Titleist, you know, had a nice company car and things like that, was probably making 200000 they were a more marketing-driven company. They weren't a sales-driven company. So I think you could take it out of context depending on, you know, the sales or the solution that, you, that, you, uh, that you're actually selling. But I don't see it. I, I, uh, I guess an example of that today would be, you know, you got marketing-qualified leads. And, and that's good. That's a big part of business. Companies should do that if they can. You know, they've got a marketing team sent, sending out automated emails. They've got the sequence and the tree. And if they opened it up, send this one. If they didn't, send that one. You can get some leads from that, and you probably should be doing it. Mm-hmm. But those, you know, those high-value accounts that you really want to get, uh, you know, that's going to be more of a, you know, jab, jab, punch, if you've heard of that concept, mm-hmm. right? So maybe you need to join them on LinkedIn. Maybe you need to share some insights, share some information. You need to comment on some uh, white papers they authored or some posts on LinkedIn, get to know them, get in their network, give a little before you try to go ahead and say, hey, listen, we may be able to add value. You know, can we have a cup of coffee? Can we have an initial meeting? Can we do a demo? Whatever that might be. And salespeople are going to do that. So I think, you know, I think you're going to see artificial intelligence and the predictive coding that's out there. I think you're going to see that continue to play an important role. But you watch the best high-performing sales professionals are going to still be people that can look you in the eye and, and, and persuade you to see and feel what you see and feel. And a, a great word that the challenger put on the map, but it's been around a lot longer than the challenger sale, is reframe. Can you reframe the way somebody's looking at something? Mm-hmm. And it still, for the most part, takes a person to do that. Yeah. We're going to get real. That's I mean, that's what people, we got to, we got to stay real yeah. and get real as a human. I had a conversation um, and it's and and I'm not a, a business intelligence chaser, but and I put money on stuff just based on feeling. You know, every year in the United States, roughly a half a million, five hundred thousand companies are started. 
and less than 4% of them are still in existence at the end of five years. Yeah. I would put money that if there was, if somebody had the time to do the research on that 4%, I would put money that 100% of them had exemplary Salesforce sales team that are getting those companies to get to five years. Yeah. I bet of those half a million companies, I bet there are better companies in the same market and the same thing product-wise or service-wise or whatever it was that they were providing that didn't have a good go-to-market strategy, didn't have a good sales team that's now out of business. The, the companies that stay and the companies that grow and the companies that kick ass are companies that have dynamic, good, strong sales organizations that are pushing themselves, raising the bar, getting out of their comfort zone, getting guys like you to come in, get them amped up and show them the way, um, opposed to saying, ah, you know, let's, let's do these tools, let's look at this, let's, let's just wait for the phone to ring. Because uh, that doesn't happen, right? The phone doesn't ring anymore. You got to, you got to, you got to dial. Yeah, yeah not, not as much as you want to. And there's some great. I mean, I mean this sincerely. I'm not trying to like do a back crawl away from our yeah. marketing listeners out there. Uh, what marketing does right now is really cool, especially yeah. when their messages are, "Hey, I see you. Um, uh, we're interested in this, that, or the other thing. I uh, wanted to let you know." That, and you provide some information. That's yeah. going to be really powerful. But it's yeah. still, you know, you're going to need to pick up the phone for some of those high target yeah. accounts. Well, and, it's, and that's not absolutely. I mean, our marketing team here, dude, is is just lights out right now. I mean, we, this is the best. Uh, this we're at uh, in Raleigh at our Dude University annual conference, and uh, Chris is based down here in Raleigh. And I mean, from the branding standpoint, from the educational standpoint, I mean, we're just we're just knocking out of the park, getting interest and getting getting people to that next step in the sales in the sales interest side. Yeah. Um, well, to put a bow around that, I think you're right. You, uh, I certainly didn't coin this frame. It's been out there forever, but you know, marketing, right? How does yeah. sales and marketing work together? Yeah. That's where you're going to see, you know, optimizing your uh, your sales performance. Yeah. Well, I got to tell you, we're, uh, we're we've taken up a, a breakout room. People are starting to come in, so we're down to about the last minute or so before we got to probably wrap up. So um, this has been fantastic. I think we got to do a part two here because you got just, I mean, you got a ton of stuff to share to the world, and we need to get it out there and. You're just getting out. I mean, you're just talking about it. I have been pushing you on social media, and I love what you're doing because you're doing professional videos. You're tying in some humorous uh, openings, but you're giving great stories. I want to talk about the speeding ticket sometime. I want to talk about, you know, that uh, I think we should talk about that, that openness and owning owning your uh, owning what you do wrong and, uh, and how that all works. But, you know, for the sake of time, how do people get a hold of you? What, what, what are you offering? Who, who do you... Uh, who are you talking to? What? Yeah, perfect. And by the way, we use LinkedIn exclusively as a go-giver campaign. Uh, we don't, you know, pump out anything about New Velocity there, which is the name of our company, New Velocity. We just send out little tidbits. It could be for sales leaders. It could be for CEOs. Uh, predominantly, it's for sales professionals. But we like to give away a lot of content that people seem to enjoy. So that's on LinkedIn. It's Chris Del Torio with, a, with an A, D-A-L, Del Torio. So they can find us there. And then the website is mynewvelocity.com. So just mynewvelocity.com. And I hope they do. And we'll uh, continue to push it out there. Uh, it's fun. You know, a uh, salesperson at a time. You know, we might have to buy off them someday. So, yeah. you know, we want them to be the uh, outstanding or the awesome version of themselves. Yeah, and then you have little promotions every once in a while in your videos where you're giving away a T-shirt if they make a comment like or something, just a random something. So be sure to follow it along. I've got a T-shirt. My son's got a T-shirt. Um, it, it helps everybody. It, it keeps it fun and interesting. Um, I strongly suggest following them. I, I follow Chris and New Velocity. Uh, every chance I get, I'm, I'm learning a little something, uh, and it might not be lightning in a bottle. It might be a, a refresher or a reminder, but he's got some really good, unique ways and things that he looks at things. And the videos are, are like I say, there's some good humor. He dressed up like a 
a wizard or something there recently and snapped your fingers and got rid of that beard, which was great. I think you should grow the beard myself. But uh, <laughs> um, I really appreciate you coming out, taking the time to be here and, and, and sharing some of your story. I love to hear your you ninth, ninth grade, ninth grade uh, dinner dance story that you got out for the first time ever here right on the Be Awesome podcast. So uh, in the meantime, uh, always thank you. This has been phenomenal. We're getting ratings and reviews on the uh, podcast on iTunes. That's what gets my numbers up, uh, number of subscribers. We've got, uh, I think, up. I looked at something on Google Play that showed that I have like 5,500 subscribers, which is fantastic. We're getting a lot of, a lot of downloads, a lot of listeners. Um, if you put a rating or review on uh, iTunes, a measurement there, um, send me an email, and I will be sure to send you a T-shirt or a coffee mug. Um, send an email to Josh at Be Awesome. It's Josh at Be Awesome, B-E-A-U-S-M dot com. And uh, in the meantime, my good friend, Pat Buchanan, is about to give a presentation. So if you heard that buzzing, that's my friend of 20 years uh, giving me the cue to wrap it up. So remember to be awesome. You got to do awesome. Thanks so much.